Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. If you would please stand while I read from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, And suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. We are 20 minutes into church, and we've forgotten to pass the offering. Awesome. Uh, We've heard from a talking serpent. Uh, We have agreed to be led into uncomfortable places during Lent. (laughs) And, um, you know, that's just church, right? And then Jesus is led into the wilderness and where he talks to Satan again and doesn't eat food for 40 days and 40 nights. So if you feel a little bit like, I'm not sure if I can believe even 40% of that, um, you've come to the right place. Uh, It's okay. It's okay. Uh, But we are going to dive into this weird, bizarre, beautiful text where Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit and where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards where he is famished. So I'm going to ask an all-play question. All-play questions if you're new around here. Which, by the way, Nick, congratulations on the uh, Berkebiner. I heard you shaved an hour off your previous time. Yeah. Nick Throckmorton, everybody. Yes. Uh, first all-play question. All-plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. Um, 
here's the question. What does it mean to be human? To be fallible. Thanks, Jace. To experience pain. Thanks, Nathan. To not know. Thanks, Joan. To love. Thanks, Pam, Rick. To doubt. Thanks, Linda, to screw up. Wait, say it again. To adapt. That's what I'm talking about. Thanks, Peyton. To be mortal. Thanks, Greg. To feel. Yeah, thanks. Was that, who, who was that? Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. To not know. Oh, Jenny, thank you. To live in a body. I used to have a friend that after I would go through a season where I was too busy, she would say, seems like you've been dragging your body around for the last few weeks, demanding that it keep up. So Jesus led into the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights, he's famished. What is it like for Jesus to be a human? Thank you, Jason. Same as us. Now we want, like we like the idea of Jesus in the, in the wilderness, sort of like Superman swatting away temptations like flies. It's easy for him because he's God. The temptations are just there for us to, you know, have some sort of lesson, but he was just breezing through those 40 days and 40 nights of without food because he's, he's God, right? So he didn't feel all that stuff. When Satan tempted him, and even as I'm saying that, I know, you, I know that you're like, no, that's not really what I think, but I want to press us on that, this idea that Jesus really did experience temptation as we do. And I want to read a passage from Hebrews that gets a little more explicit about why that we can say that with confidence. So in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, we read this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in, who in every respect has been tempted and tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need, in our helplessness, in our temptation. So if we're going to read this story about Jesus in the wilderness, we really have to understand the human Jesus that really was hungry, that really got tempted, and that really, really felt all the feelings. He wasn't a robot that just knew how to do it. He had to learn how to be hungry and not give in to eating when he decided to fast. Um, think of all the things that humans struggle with, Jesus did too. So the first temptation, the Satan says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, one doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And he's actually quoting a scripture here. And it comes from Deuteronomy. So I want to read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, verses 2 and 3. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So he is... Um, He's thinking about the 40 years that the children of Israel had um, in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." And so Jesus was doing a little, it's called a little remez, a little hint. When he just says that last phrase, he's wanting us to remember what was said before. And this word test comes out, that the Lord tests us. And here's a really kind of hard all-play question. But if it's true that God tests us, any of you with like really good memory... Uh, according to what I just read, why does he test us? Why does she test us? Why does God test us? There's a little phrase that I, and I know you guys didn't look it up. It's not printed in the liturgy. It's not fair. Greg's, go ahead, Jason. to see if he would follow our commandments. And Greg said it. So yes, that is what I read. And Greg said to see what is in our hearts. A test is there just to reveal what's already in your heart. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Why would it be a bad thing to reveal what's in your heart? Because we're human and there might be some dark stuff in there. Thanks, Rick. Why would it be a good thing? Thank you, Josh. Because we're human and things that are in the dark that get the light shined on it no longer have to be in secret. And now we can be healthy, whole human beings. Right? So Jesus is remembering tests And Jesus is being tested right in this moment. And he's remembering that tests are okay. It's designed to reveal what's inside. And um, I think the the fascinating thing about this temptation um, to turn stones into bread, uh, there's a little phrase that we read that the Satan leads with. And the phrase is, if you are the Son of God... If you are the Son of God, to which Jesus may have said, like, listen, I haven't said a word to you or anyone else about that yet, so, but okay. If you are the Son of God, prove it by turning these stones into bread. So I think the temptation here, I'm going to put it in the form of an all play question. What is it like when you're tempted to try to prove your worth? What is that like? What do you end up doing and saying when you give in to that temptation? Thanks, Rick. You're going to try to perform. Whatever that, whatever is acceptable, deemed acceptable by the person doing the testing, that's what you're going to try to bring out, right? 
What else? Oh, spoken like a true three on the Enneagram, right, Will? You never stop. I'm a three two, so I know what that means. Thank you, Linda. You do, 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 and you don't end up looking around at others. When you're trying to, when you're hustling to prove your worth, I like what you just said, Linda. You get very self-referential to the point of being not helpful. Yes. Kirsty. Yes. It means you don't believe in your own worth. There's like when Jesus invited Peter to go walk on the water. Remember that? Jesus believed in Peter. Peter didn't believe in Peter. Right? You have a higher level of mistrust. Oh, my gosh. When you're trying to prove your worth. Yeah. And you just get real. So Jesus gives us this opportunity, remembering that it was God that provided manna from which they were unacquainted. So when you have a need, there's a real reality that you can sit in that need without trying to prove yourself and wait for God to come and give you what you need. Now, is that easy? No. That sounds like a cliche, right? But there's a way in which if you've been through that enough, if you've been through the hardship of not having, if you're hungry and you've been through enough times where you're like, no, I don't actually need to move toward that, then you can be met with something that's even, that you're not acquainted with, something that helps you get through, that's much better than trying to prove your worth. And I wish we had time to share more stories about what that was, right? Or like what that would be like for you. Because I think we've all been through that. We've all been through trying to prove our worth. And we've all been through getting some gift that we're unacquainted with that helps us make it through, right? Second temptation, the Satan says this. If you are the son of God, throw, he takes him to this high pinnacle. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So Satan quotes a little scripture at Jesus. Oh man, that's sneaky. I mean, that's like judo. That's like a Jesus juke right there. Um, and then Jesus says, hey, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And where he's going here is um, one of the Ten Commandments. And specifically, even before that, he's going to um, this verse in Deuteronomy 6, 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Now, again, this is a remez. It's a hint. Jesus wants you to ask the question, what? What's Massa? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't say at Massa, but the remez, the hint is, he wants you to say, wait a minute, where's that scripture? Oh, it's, yeah, it's Deuteronomy 6.16. And what does it say in Deuteronomy 6.16? Don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. So what's the next question? We have to figure out what is Massa. Now, thankfully, there's a pastor who did a little studying and found out where Massa was in the text. So I'm going to read it to you. Exodus, and that pastor's me. You just needed to laugh at that, um, or else the joke didn't work. 
So the seven verses, this is what happened at Massa, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, <laughs> the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the, Lord's command, as the Lord commanded. Uh, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Big problem. If there's no water, what happens? Yes. People quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And if I was with Israel, I was like, well, because you're leading us, right? God's not going to find us water. You have to. That's how it works. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Then the Lord said, Moses, go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Now, Moses, strike the rock and water will come out of it. Water from the rock. Amazing. Uh, so that the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested. So Massah means quarreling. And Meribah means testing the Lord by saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? Now, all play question. Why did God command Moses to strike the rock so that the water would come out? Will just said, sometimes God meets people where they are, so I'll give you what you want, sure. And I think he's right on the money. These people weren't going to be satisfied unless they saw something spectacular. It wasn't going to be enough for Moses just to lead them around the bend, and then there's a little pool of water. It wasn't going to be enough for, you know, even for there to be like jugs of water that magically appeared. They needed something like bam, you know, for them to be like, oh my gosh, God is real, right? Sometimes God meets us with, at the place where we need to be met. But remember what Jesus said, like the temptation is like, hey, throw yourself off of this high place. God, God's going to catch you. Just do it. And Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So here's the all-play question. What does it mean to keep demanding that God do childish things so that your childish faith can be upheld? It means you don't have to grow. I mean, if I can keep demanding, bam, yes, then my faith is going to be in what? It won't be in God. It'll be in the... And God doesn't want, I don't think, my opinion, I don't think God wants us to put our faith in spectacles. Throw yourself off. God will catch you. I wonder if God wants us to grow and to sometimes meet God in the silence, in the absence. Some of you are in a season right now where God isn't talking to you. And you wonder, why has God left me? And I want to suggest it's possible that it's because you've grown past the childish ways of bam, pff, ah, 
and you're learning to meet God in the quiet. And it feels like a punishment, but it's not. It's that you're growing. And you can't keep meeting the same old spectacular God that you used to meet with when you were four. Does that make sense, you guys? That's a tough one. But that's the best I can do with what it means to not put God to the test. Don't keep demanding that God be childish so that your childish faith. And I, I want to be careful. Like, God will continue to meet you where you're at. What I mean by childish is meeting God in the spectacle after a while is not meeting God. It's just tickling your endorphins and your dopamine. Third temptation. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. Satan means accuser. For it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. All play. Why is it so easy to believe that more power and more authority will make us happy? Greed, 100%. Nathan, control keeps us from the pain that we fear, from feeling it. Oh, Jane, it's distracting. Power, authority, it keeps us busy. Also, I think, I think our culture is kind of set up that way. The people with authority and power get the say and get to chart the course. And why wouldn't we want that? I want that. <laughs> Thanks for that giggle right there. That was awesome. <laughs> I want that. Thanks, Joe. You said so many good things. I'm going to try to... So Joe basically said that it's easy to lean on structure, whether you're the person in power or not. If you're not in the person in power, you can just blame the person in power. If you are the person in power, you can just get what you want. But relationships, on the other hand, are much less visible. They're much more... Like, if you have to rely on relationship to get things done, it's slower. It requires you to move at the speed of trust, <laughs> to use a phrase that Jer Swigert, our friend, uh, likes to use. Um, a couple weeks ago, I didn't even know I was doing it. And in a little group of people, I powered up like this. I did it, 100%. And then thankfully, someone in the room very graciously said, you know, <laughs> I don't like what you just did. And man, I... I had to talk to someone else afterwards. Did I do that? The other person said, yep. It's slippery, you guys. It's easy to do. It's easy to blame. It's easy to power up. So what would it be like to not give in to that push for authority? In Deuteronomy 6, like what, what would the, let me just ask this. What would the opposite 
and not in a doormat kind of way, but what would the opposite of pushing for power and authority be? Say it again. Ooh, contentment. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Yeah. Thanks, Becky. Do we really know who we really are? And can we lean into the mystery of that? There's a, um, the, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is, this is where this phrase that Jesus um, uses in response to Satan comes from. Um, the Lord our God, the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home, etc. I wonder if the opposite of powering up is pursuing childlikeness with God. Not childishness, but childlikeness. Teach them to your children. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the basic commandment. Don't make it complicated. There's not a thousand things you need to do and believe. There's one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, love self. Power and authority just makes things more complicated. <laughs> it makes you able to blame someone or get what you want neither of which leads to contentment. But this idea of love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, if you spent your whole life pursuing that, that would be enough. So I want to leave you with some Lenten practices to combat these temptations. And these are basically from Henry Nouwen in his beautiful book, In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on the Christian Leadership, so he says, addressing the temptation to prove your worth through contemplative, uh, sorry, addressing the temptation to prove your worth through contemplative prayer. So I would invite you if, you, if you, like me, lean toward trying to prove your worth, try to spend five to 10 minutes, as many days as possible during the week, simply breathing this phrase, I am loved by God just as I am. You can breathe in, I'm loved by God. Breathe out, just as I am. Just spend five to 10 minutes. Set a little timer. It'll feel like 20 minutes. I promise you it's only five. Set a little timer. I'm loved by God, just as I am. That begins to rewire your brain. Second temptation. If, you're, if you um, are in this place where you feel like God isn't speaking to me the way that God used to, and you're kind of demanding God to do the the you know, the childish things. Um, Henry Nouwen suggests the practice of confession and forgiveness. And this is what I would invite you to do, is just maybe every day, at the end of the day, just journal, like make an honest inventory without judgment, 
of ways that you missed the mark that day. The only purpose would be to shine the light on that and live with more contentment, not to feel shame or judge yourself. Name them to God. And then if you have a trusted friend, you can also name it too. Have you ever been in a place where you like, you confess something to someone and they go, oh yeah. How, like it helps. Hiding is what hurts. Sharing is what helps. And then thirdly, if you have a temptation to believe that more power and more authority will make you happy, this is a tough one, but Henry Nouwen suggests what he calls theological reflection. And I'm going to read a little quote from him to close. Most Christian leaders or people today raise psychological or sociological questions, even though they frame them in scriptural terms. Real theological thinking, though, which is thinking with the mind of Christ, is hard to find in the practice of ministry. Without solid theological reflection, we will be little more than pseudo-psychologists, pseudo-sociologists, and pseudo-social workers. We'll think of ourselves as enablers, facilitators, role models, father or mother figures, big brothers or big sisters, and so on. And we'll join the countless men and women who make a living by trying to help their fellow human beings to cope with the stresses and strains of everyday living, but that has little to do with Christian leadership or even Christian ministry because the Christian leader thinks, speaks, and acts in the name of Jesus, who came to free humanity from the power of death and open the way to eternal life. Theological reflection, now in writes, is reflecting on the painful and joyful realities of every day with the mind of Jesus, and thereby raising human consciousness, there's a lot here, I know, to the knowledge of God's gentle guidance. So it's less about solving problems and more about being with God with what is. That's the mind of Christ, to be with God with what is. This is a hard discipline since God's presence is often a hidden presence, a presence that needs to be discovered. The loud, boisterous noises of the world make us deaf to the soft, gentle, and loving voice of God. What would it be like to begin to be with God with what is so that you can receive gentle guidance from God if you're tempted to move toward power and authority to make you happy? What would it be like to practice confession and forgiveness when you're tempted to only want the spectacular from God? And what would it be like to spend five or 10 minutes every day simply breathing in this truth, I'm loved by God just as I am. As we enter Lent, let's enter it honestly. Lent is not really uh, seven weeks of, of nail-biting, white-knuckling, feeling good if you continue to give up your thing. It's about finding God even when you can't give up your thing. It's about returning to who God is, the gentle guidance that God offers. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.